And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Nick Lindquist. Always a great time talking to Nick. Um, and we covered Nikki Haley's pathetic presidential campaign. Um, real bizarre stuff there. We also uh, talked about a handful of the future uh, also-rans who are, are talking about getting into the race. Um, we talked about how the old lose-with-dignity guard of the GOP is finally dying off and how that can't happen soon enough, um, and a bunch more. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before we get to Nick, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you are an Apple user, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Nick Linquist. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Nick Linquist. Nick, how you been, man? Hey, Brady, I've been pretty good, uh, ferociously battling a man cold, but I will somehow survive. You'll get through it. You're a brave young yeah. man. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. How have you been? I've been fantastic. I've been great. Just waiting on my uh, my baby to show up here, probably in the next yeah. couple weeks. So uh, nervous and anxious, but, uh, you know, I can't control anything. So I'm just taking it one day at a time, man. Like, why, why stress to... out? So. Yep. So... We got to start here, man. Um, Nick, every Republican is going to run for president again, aren't they? I mean, like, I was really hoping, I was really hoping we could avoid it. I really was. I mean, so many people are just thirsty for that one percent in Iowa. I mean, they're yep. just they can't wait, or I mean, they're just thirsty for book sales. You know, let's be honest. But yeah. let's start with Nikki Haley. I haven't really mentioned her on the podcast yet, at least not in several years since the last time she was relevant. But the woman is running on like George Bush's 2004 platform. You know, like the get tough on X. I mean, it's not like the Taliban anymore, but now it's like Iran and China, you know, Yep. as if our problem. I mean, you know, it's just funny to me that like people think the United States problem on the world stage is that we're we aren't tough enough. I mean, I don't know. Ask ask an Iraqi civilian <laughs> if we're if we're yeah. tough enough. But uh, I mean, the woman has nothing to run on. She can't really differentiate herself, you know, between Trump or any any of the other Republicans, not to mention the cringe. I mean, I almost passed out yesterday, man. I know you saw it too when she, her stupid Don Lemon inspired beer koozies. It's like, what is this woman doing? What are the people running this campaign even doing? Oh, it's so cringe. And you're right. It's like this weird. It's like she has been in a like, in a in a cellar for 15 years and didn't know what was happening outside. And now she's decided to run a campaign. Like she's running it like it's 2004. But like a woke version of 2004, where yeah. she's also playing on her identity politics a bit. Um, and yeah, that that koozie, man, like it made Oof. me regret having to defend her against Don Lemon because I was like, oh, come on. I, I just I just put my you know, I put my ass out on the line for you. And this is what you did. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like I'll never cringe. I'll never forgive Don Lemon for making me defend Nikki Haley. Yes. And then I'll never forgive Nikki Haley for 
making me defender and then releasing that beer koozie. I mean, it's just like these people are just punching us in the face from both sides. It's it's terrible. Like, what? I can't imagine why she thought the whole I'm a brown girl boss thing yeah. was going to work on Republicans. It's like, lady, go talk to a Democrat about about race and gender, man. Like, we don't care about that kind of stuff. Like it's, yeah. Give me, give me a break. I, I, there's no, she has no constituency at all for the the Warhawk stuff. Get tough on Iran. I mean, come on, man. Like this isn't the '90s. I, I, we don't need get tough on Iran talk from our politicians. This is ridiculous. Well, this is the problem with politicians like her um, on the right because they all see, you know, the left going woke, and they're like, well, this is bad, but also we could use some modernizing ourselves. And they say, well, you know, we can do this too. You know, like we're pro trans as well. And then the Republican base looks at people like that and goes, uh, no, we're not. <laughs> that's, that's not <laughs> us. That might be you, but that's not what it means to be a Republican. Like we're not just Democrats from 15 years ago. Um, we're not trying to catch up to them in some way. We're trying to reverse the tide. Right. Finally. I mean, that, that wasn't, I know. Al- that wasn't always the case, but... Uh, no, no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, and that is a huge positive. I mean, that's a big white pill that the GOP yeah. is moving past all that stuff. And then on on the war front, too, it's been a, a big... I mean, you know, hate, hate to call it a white pill because we're, like, flirting with nuclear war with two different superpowers at the same time right now, and that's terrifying, but, like... I, I really hope, and I think it will, I, I hope that the alliance of, like, the libertarian Republicans and the populist anti-war Republicans continues to grow because we're finally breaking the GOP out of their decades-long desire to fight every war imaginable. And, like, th- this morning, man, I uh, a guy on Fox News, some general, I, I didn't catch the name, but <laughs> he, was, uh, he was talking about <laughs> how the U.S. needs to keep pouring money into Ukraine because they need to kill all the Russians so that the U.S. can focus on beating China. It's yeah, like, yeah. hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> or we could be a normal country that doesn't constantly need a monster to fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the Soviet Union fell 30 years ago. Bin Laden's been dead for 11 years. We're not going to war with China. Like, we're not go- like one, everyone on Earth would die if we fought a war with China. Yeah. But let's just say we fought, like, a, a conventional war, which is ridiculous. But let's say we fought a, a non-nuclear war with China. The economies of both countries and the entire planet would collapse. Like they need, yep. like their economy would collapse because they need our money. Our economy would collapse because we need their cheap stuff. And it's like, I'm, like poor, like mid the middle class in the United States would go broke instantly if they didn't have access to like Chinese products. Like it, it sucks. I wish everything was made in America and all that, but that's just not realistic, you know. So it's like, guys, no, no. Like it, it, the, the, I, I hope people stop watching Fox News. I hope people tune these people out. It's like, no, 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 no. Stop. We don't need to. Like, our problem is not that we're not tough enough. Okay, we don't need to focus on beating China, whatever that even means. You know, like, come on, we can move past this as a nation. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, that would be suicide for the middle class here, and and that's the whole point, right? Like this, if we ever did go to war with China, it would be a like a war of elites. It would be against the the Chinese elites, against the American elites, and we would be the pawns that actually go out and do the like getting killed part and you know we would be the ones you know having our houses foreclosed on like it's just delusional to think that we could ever go into armed combat with china somehow and that the goal of winning in ukraine is so that we can get involved in this war after that like 
these people are just delusional and they would love to see America at war forever. But I agree, it's really good to see that libertarians and populist uh, sort of anti-war uh, new right Republicans kind of banding together on it, this issue specifically and on like, you know, uh, social issues to an extent. Like, yeah. I don't think libertarians enjoy watching, you know, 12 year olds get transition surgeries and things like that. And I don't think they like that public schools are keeping uh, their child's lives private from them. Like, it's just uh, it's very interesting to see. But I'm glad the tides are finally turning. There's still plenty of Republicans in Congress, you know, like uh, oh, what's her name from Florida and obviously Dan Crenshaw and all these other kinds of types that would love to just make the Ukraine war last forever. But it's definitely changing. And um, I hope that more people see the light, even some of my friends. I mean, I see on Twitter every day, like, you know, Republicans standing up for Ukraine. And it's like, well, why? What are, like, what is our end game here? How does this benefit America at all? I mean, this used to be we, we've never considered Ukraine an ally in the traditional sense. This is a corrupt country. I mean, the aid that we're giving to them isn't even making it to the front lines most of the time. There's been investigations on this um, from journalists and et cetera. So, like, yeah, it's just time to put this to bed. 100%. And I mean, it's like it doesn't even make—it's not logical. It, 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 there's no, like, logical, moral foundation to any of it either. Like, Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, um, he was just in—he just posted a photo last night. He's in Saudi Arabia hanging out with the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia talking about their yep. great relationship with the United States and stuff. And it's like, so you're fine with hundreds of billions to Ukraine to quote-unquote defend democracy or whatever, whatever that means, and then you're hanging out with, like, murderous dictators. So it's like, yep. come on, man. Like, what, what do you—like, and you can say this with a straight face? Like, that's your—really? Like, that—I that, mean, that's, non, that's nonsensical. It's ridiculous. But right. aside from just the foreign policy stuff, I am happy also to see the— forever loser lose with dignity conservative kind of thing finally dying off as well and uh you saw it with uh, larry hogan who wants to run for president as well he's like a left-wing republican former maryland governor um he attacked uh, over the weekend he was on i don't know probably cnn or something but he attacked ron DeSantis for you know trying to save children <laughs> he said he yeah. said that what that wasn't conservative enough uh for him uh you know saving children because you know it's conservative to let government workers destroy and sterilize your children. Um, and But Hogan was mocked by everybody, including, like, the folks over at National Review, like all of, like, the, you know, the centrist, center-right publications, they were all mocking him, um, which was super encouraging to see. It, it finally seems like that era of the GOP is, is dying off, and, boy, that can't happen fast enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, I, I can't wait to see it happen, um, and... I'm glad to see people like uh, Ron DeSantis even coming out and saying, yeah, this needs to this needs to die. Like, you know, there's been some holdouts, especially, you know, national politicians, but not necessarily invo involved in foreign policy that are are starting to even stand up and say, like, we need to kill this. Yeah, 100 percent. And uh, yeah, I mean, like my my one, you know, worry about DeSantis, you know, as a libertarian is that, like, you just don't know what a governor's foreign policy is going to be like, you know, yep. like he could be great on domestic stuff and then become president and turn into George W. Bush. I mean, you just don't know. 
Um, but yeah, he he blasted Biden going to Kiev, and and he said that we can't give Ukraine a blank check. We need negotiations. So, so in my mind, it's like, all right, we're good. You know, we're not going to get W with a president, uh, DeSantis, and that was kind of the only thing I was worried about. You know, he understands the the important issues. He's been a great governor. He doesn't want World War Three. You know, like I'm a simple man, Nick. <laughs> like I'm not asking yeah. for much here. Um, and also he's like, you know, I keep saying this over and over, but he's the only man who can beat Trump. I mean, he's the only guy who can beat Trump in the primary. Uh, and that matters because Trump can't win. And a vote for Trump in the primaries is a vote for Joe Biden. Um, and yep. I'll even take that further. A vote for Trump in the primaries is a vote to send all of your money to Vladimir Zelensky. So <laughs> how do you feel about that, Trump supporters? Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's really kind of irking me that so many of these like nobody politicians are jumping into the race because we're just going to, you know, if if enough of these if enough of these egotistical, you know, money hungry people do this, it's going to be a repeat of 2016 where Trump just, you know, picks up not even that many votes, but like enough to secure his nomination because they're all they're they're not pulling votes from Trump. They're going to be pulling them from DeSantis if anyone. So I really hope that all of these campaigns die out fast enough and they all drop out after Iowa and let the big boys, you know, kind of play now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Um, I mean, like Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, they're all, you know, they're all talking about running. It's like, man, I don't get it. I mean, just like ask yourself why the press is so committed to Donald Trump as the nominee. I mean, they, they know. I, it's their entire business model, for one. I mean, it's like they're not right. making any money if if Trump isn't the nominee. They need him for business, um, and they know he's, he can't win, you know. And that's why yeah. they're everybody's writing pieces about Nikki Haley. Like, if you're an actual journalist, like I know the the profession of journalism doesn't exist and hasn't in fifty years, but like, if you were an actual like journalist, like the response to Nikki Haley saying she's running for president is nothing, right? Because it doesn't matter. Like, you wouldn't talk about it. You wouldn't mention it. You wouldn't write about it. It would be like, oh, who cares? Like, ignore it. Like, she has no chance. She's going to get sub 1%. But they're just pumping her up. They're talking about her on CNN constantly. They want these people to get in. They want to muddy the waters and just, you know, let Trump squeak by with 25% or whatever. Yep, exactly. And then there's the there's the smaller faction that actually believes that she could win, um, which is just like a delusional take. But these are people who have lived in Washington, D.C. since they were like 19 years old and they have no idea how regular America thinks. And so you've got the people who are like genuinely behind her, but are just completely delusional and don't understand how real Americans think. Oh, for sure, man. I think just proximity to the Capitol is just bad for you, man. Like you see it in, in the libertarian circles, like you mentioned how like it's encouraging to you that libertarians actually care about like cultural issues now and actually want to stop the left from destroying children <laughs> and stuff like that. Yep. And it's like there are a few holdouts in the libertarian world and but they're just the DC like think tank people. It's just like the Reason magazine, Cato, like oh, these like the awful oh the worst. The worst yeah. of the worst. And they'll just they'll write pieces. They won't they don't care about all the evils of like the Biden regime or anything like that. But they'll write piece after piece, thousands of words a day about how Ron DeSantis is mean for, like, using government power to, like, save children. Yeah. It's like, dude, you are just so far up your own ass 
you have no idea what's what's going on in the real world, man. It's just like if you're in D.C., that mentality just seeps into you. And it's like, yeah, like I'm literally an anarchist. Like I wish the government didn't exist, but I wish a lot of things didn't exist that exists. And I wish a lot of things exist that don't exist. I get you. Yes. Wi- like, who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't care what my utopian vision of the world is. Who cares? Like, we're, we, we're dealt the hand that we're dealt and we're dealing with the, the problems of our time and we have to do the best we can with it. If the answer is using government power to help people be free, then I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, like the only libertarians that disagree are the people that are just, like you said, been stuck in D.C. since they were 19 and are just completely dis- disconnected from real America. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to to think about it, because, yeah, I mean, I have my ideal world in my head. I have principles that I'd like to be upheld, but we have to deal with the hand that we were dealt. And, you know, I'm willing to support a politician that doesn't necessarily agree with me on everything if it means I can get some of what I want done. And that's what I see in Ron DeSantis. I mean, I agree with him on the vast majority of things, but there are others that, you know, like even Trump, when he was president, I was like, well, I don't love this guy, but he's doing some cool stuff and I'm going to see it, like see it through and see what he does. And, yeah. you know, he did pleasantly surprise me in a lot of ways. But, you know, the 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 painful truth for some that they are choosing not to hear is that he lost to a senile old man in 2020. And yes, there may have been election fraud but not enough to have changed the outcome in any way, at least from what I see. Um, And that is a really bad sign if we're going into 2024 with the same guy. Like, it's just over. It can't. It's over. Yeah. That can't happen, man. Like, it's... Please, Trump supporters, don't give CNN what they want. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Just ask yourself, why is the New York Times so committed to making Donald Trump our guy in 2024 can you just be an adult be a grown-up and ask yourself that question <laughs> and then answer it honestly but like, they, they just don't want to hear it man like when when i'll tweet something you know like pro desantis or anti-trump or whatever like the just the clowns on twitter it's like you just hit a brain worm they just start yelling at you it's like they yep. can't ha- it's like they can't handle any criticism of dear leader it's pathetic and especially if you look at the numbers of like those publications and networks their numbers tanked after Trump left office. So why wouldn't they want him again to be at least running for 2024? Like he was a cash cow for all of these liberal publications, whether they like to admit it or not. Oh yeah. But I mean, the Washington Post is at like record low subscribers. Uh, CNN barely clears like a couple hundred thousand in prime time. Like it's honestly embarrassing that Joe Rogan gets uh, more like listens and views in a day than they do in like months. It's like their network news isn't even relevant anymore, frankly. Um, but with Trump there, at least they'll do a little better. And that's what they see. And that's why they want him to be the nominee again. I mean, putting CNN out of business is reason enough for Trump to go away. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, like he can be our sacrifice. Uh so I do have to I do have to ask you about another uh, person who's not going to be president. Um, so there's a rich hedge fund guy named uh, Vivek something. Can't pronounce the last name. Vivek um, Ramaswamy. Hit me with that one more time. Vivek Ramaswamy. Got it. Got yeah. It. Um, never heard of him. 
But uh, apparently he's pretty famous in conservative circles. So who is he and should I care? Yeah, I mean, I have I have a positive view of him, generally speaking. I mean, that's different if he's running for president, but I'll, I'll explain here. So he is a very successful entrepreneur. He's led like a biotech company. He's he's led uh, several, you know, kind of securities ventures. And he really left the mainstream uh, corporate world at his last venture, which was a biomed company, um, when he realized just how unhinged, uh, you know, corporate America has gotten and how they're going down this awful social social justice path. So right after he left there, he wrote a book called Woke Inc. that kind of outlines his experiences in corporate America and how um, all these social causes that companies are chasing now are really just plays for political coverage and leverage and then crushing out smaller comp competitors. So like, for instance, Walmart arguing for, for the $15 minimum wage, that's not a benign, benevolent action from them. That is them trying to snuff out the mom and pop shops so that they can finally own entire towns. Right. And, uh, you know, like, and then you'll see Goldman Sachs like going woke. And that's because they want to make sure they're safe for the next uh, recession so that they can get their pretty bailout. Yeah. Like these are all the motivations behind these. Um, and he's actually gone even farther now to start uh, an asset management firm that's supposed to be able to eventually rival like BlackRock and Vanguard um, and, and make investments in not focused on ESG. Um, so all that to say, He's a very successful entrepreneur, but I think him running for president is honestly a waste of his time and resources. Like, he is more valuable in the private sector to me than he would be in the White House, where he's going to be able to get nothing done. Not to mention, he doesn't really have a chance at actually sitting in the Oval Office. So that's my read on it. Hmm. So I should probably see how it uh, plays out before I ever, uh, yeah. you know, I spend any time on it. <laughs> right, right. He, yeah, I mean, uh, like, it's also worth noting he's backed by like Peter Thiel, J.D. Vance. So got it. he's in a weird circle there um, that that some might not like. But yeah, I mean, he's he's great in the private sector. I just don't know that he should be a public servant. Gotcha. Yeah, I had heard of that book. I, I've read a review of it. I, I haven't actually read it uh, in all fairness, but uh yeah. And so I, I I didn't know I didn't put the the face to the name or or anything, um, mm -hmm. but yeah you know yeah, it's I mean, funny like if he like knocks himself out I'm sure he'll be spending his own money and stuff like that since he's crazy sure. rich but uh so more power to him but you know as long as he gets out after Iowa <laughs> you know what I mean as long right. as he doesn't like as long as he gets out and lets DeSantis take on Trump then it's fine it's just you know um you know like people like that like kind of outsider candidates. There is value because not enough people on the right are talking about the DEI stuff, the ESG stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, if he stands up there on a debate stage and there's 20 million people watching and he's talking about this issue specifically and really bringing it to light, uh, there's a lot of utility in that. I mean, that is valuable. I mean, like, you know, before Ron Paul ran for president in 2008, um, I mean, like— Unless you were already a libertarian, you didn't know. Like he brought a lot of these libertarian principles to the mainstream, and now they're mainstream within normal Republican politics. 
like when he stood up there on a debate stage and talked about ending the Federal Reserve and every other candidate was like, what? You can't do that. <laughs> you know? And like nobody had heard of that. Most people hadn't even heard of the Federal Reserve. Like nobody was talking about the Federal Reserve. You know, when he said, you know, there were, I remember in a debate in 08, um, they, uh, the moderator asked all the candidates like, you know, what should the income tax rate be? And, you know, like Rick Perry was like, flat tax, 10%, keep it simple. And like, everybody's like, oh, you know, we'll reduce it by 5% or, you know, let's blah, blah, blah. And then Ron Paul's like, abolish the IRS and replace it with nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> just incredible what he did. Yeah. And uh, like the moderator's like, well, what, you know, what would you replace the income tax with? He's like, when you remove cancer, what do you replace it with? <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, and that was a, revolutionary thought to a lot of people that weren't, you know, the initiated already, you know? So it's like, if this guy can, can bring some of these like ESG problems to light on a debate stage, I think that would uh, like in the, in the same vein of what Ron Paul did on economics, like he could help maybe shift the Republican party moving forward away from all this ridiculous nonsense. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, I think it would be, valuable in that sense, especially with debates, um, to kind of mainstream these ideas more and flesh them out for people. Like, I don't think people think in these terms yet, but they should because these companies hate you and they are just playing you like a fiddle for political power. So yeah, I think that's very good point. And, you know, I know several libertarians myself, depending on the age, uh, Ron Paul or Rand Paul were like their, their, uh, you know, white pill on, on government and stuff like that. Those two men running for president, knowing that they're not necessarily going to win, um, but that they'll, you know, disseminate their ideas to more people is, has been very useful. So yeah, that's a great point. Well taken. White pill slash gateway drug. I, I <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's the At white least... pill that opens the gateway for the black pill. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to mention before I let you go, man. Um, I, yeah. I don't really know anything about Matt Walsh. I don't watch his show. And in, in all fairness, I don't really absorb very much political content. When I'm listening to podcasts, it's like hunting or fishing related or like like sports related. <laughs> Stuff like that. I listen to a fantasy football podcast during the season religiously. You know, like that's, you know, I work in politics. So I don't like I'm not like watching the Daily Wire stuff all the time or, you know, it's yeah. not it's just not I'm I'm not a political commentator's target market. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. So I don't know anything about the guy, if he's a good or bad guy, anything like that, but a bunch of like country club Republicans are, are mad at him. Um, I, I saw this clip. It was going around Twitter the last 24 hours. They're, they're really mad at Matt Walsh for using harsh language um, regarding the degenerates who are trying to permanently sterilize your children. <laughs> so it's like, dude, I, I don't. And, and like I mentioned earlier, like this, brand of republicanism has got to die man like you can't right. like these people complaining about matt being mean to the worst people on the planet <laughs> it's like guys like I, just me personally maybe i yeah i take all this stuff more personal because i am going to be a dad here very soon um but it's like dude you try that stuff with my kid and yeah. mean tweets are the least of your worries like i promise you that like yeah, I can fight, and I know my way around high-powered rifles. Okay, like you're not touching <laughs> my kid, you're not transing my kid. Okay, not only will you be a goner, you won't have an open casket funeral. I'll just leave it at that. No. Okay, so it's like mean, mean words and mean tweets. You know, whatever, mean, mean you know, jokes on a podcast. Like 
really? Like, really? Like, are Republicans unwilling to fight one of the most important battles we've ever seen? Like, the, the left is quite literally, and they, they mean business. They've taken over the schools. They've taken over the school boards. They make curriculum, and they're coming for your children. And yeah. God bless people like Matt Walsh for pointing it out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, Matt Walsh has had an interesting transformation over the years. He used to be like, hmm, how do I describe? He's like, uh, he's like, he was judgmental Christian Twitter for a while. Um, but I think since moving to the Daily Wire and up, like elevating his profile, he's kind of turned into like uh, more of a mainstream DEI bad kind of person, which is great. We need more of those. He's like, you know, kind of in that same uh, lane as Chris Rufo. Uh, and I, I just think it's ridiculous that people would criticize him for that. And actually, a note on Chris Rufo, I saw something similar with him recently. Uh, you know, this supposed conservative was like criticizing him for calling, trying to get DEI and, and you know, trans issues out of schools a fight. Um, he called it a fight. And this guy took an issue with that. And it's like, Okay, if we're not even willing to admit that this is a fight, like where where are we? Because that is like the mildest of terms for what's happening right now. Man, I just don't. It's Ugh. I don't know, man. I don't know where these people grew up. Like yeah, in my I, I grew up kind of you know Toledo, Ohio is a pretty rough town. You know, I went to some pretty rough schools growing up and stuff like that. Sure. And when you're getting when you get in a fist fight. As a teenage boy, let's say, right? It's not your choice. <laughs> it's like I'm not. I've never been like, you know what? I'm gonna get in a fight today, buddy. <laughs> like, right. no, no, no. It's like somebody jumps you. You get jumped by a bunch of guys, or somebody runs up and punches you in the head when you're not looking. It's like, no, no. Fights happen to you, and this right. fight over the schools, like, dude, that it's the left. The left is doing this to us. It's not our choice. It's either you give them, you surrender your children to these degenerates, or you fight back. It's not like Chris Rufo and Matt Walsh are choosing this. They're not choosing for Democrats to try to chop off little boys' penises. They didn't right. choose that. You think Matt Walsh chose that? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. It's like I, the the whole brand of, like, I don't know. It, it just goes back to, like, Buckley and the whole, like, a conservative is a man who stands up, thwart history, yelling stop. What? That's yeah. ridiculous. Like that is like the most, the weakest, most pathetic. Like man, and, and that's just been so ingrained into a lot of people's minds over the years, over the decades. And boy, I mean, like we're, we're talking about it now because it's weird that these people are pushing back. You know, like because they aren't the majority of the right anymore. Thank God. Um, yeah. You know, it is like we're talking about these people opposing them because it is kind of unusual now and pathetic. Um, you know, just how, like, the entire world on the right mocked Larry Hogan uh, for what he said about DeSantis. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, man, I, I can't I can't believe these people still exist, <laughs> for starters. Yeah. But, yeah, man, it, it's got to go. These people have got to go. I mean, they are, they're, they've been absolutely killing us out here for decades. Absolutely. It is time for, for the tides to change. And it is happening. I wish it would happen, you know, quicker than it is. But it's good to see. And I think 2024 will be a big turning point, depending on how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from your lips to God's ears, brother. <laughs> yeah. We will yeah. see. Or Trump's the nominee and we just get blown out and we just lose yeah. everything, you know. Yeah. And we all uh, crawl into a bunker and, you know, get ready for four more years of Joe Biden. Oh, my goodness. What would that look? What would Joe Biden look like after after eight years as president? 
I don't know, they'd have to like wheel him in and, you know, he probably wouldn't be able to give speeches at that point. Um, he can barely give speeches now. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a terrifying thought, uh, but I guess we'll see. We will see. <laughs> we will see, my friend. Nick, uh, thanks for doing this, man. Let's do it again soon. Where can everybody follow you online, keep in touch, all that good stuff? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick underscore Lindquist, and then you can go to my website, nicklindquist.com, for my writings and you know what's been going on at my firm, Beck and Stone. All right, everybody follow Nick. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Thank you.